This is a Radio.com original. Fred jumps in the car, we all pull up, and then you pull out of the shot. He continues down the street, he hangs left, he goes up the hill, he goes past the makeup department, he goes down the hill, out the front gate, on the Langersham Boulevard. We don't know if there's enough gas in the car to get back. You know, with the brakes are you know, marginal at best. And you guys are and in the car. Full makeup, we're in full makeup, and we pull out, and it's like we go down the street, hang left, and we turn around at the Hollywood Bowl, come back, and we're going about 20 minutes. <laughs> Hey everybody and welcome to a new edition of the Talking About Cars podcast where it's all about everybody has a car story from celebrities to car personalities and more. I'm Randy Cardoon along with Hot Rod Bob Beck and this week we start off with a visit to classic TV. That's right, Eddie Munster himself, Butch Patrick, he was at a Hollywood show earlier this year before the virus put a hold button on everything. So Butch, let's start off with you and how lucky was it that you began work on the Munsters just at the right time? I was just lucky enough to be working from 1960 to 1972 right in the wheelhouse of the pop culture phenomena, which is so strong today and the Munsters falls into that uh, category big time, especially with Hot Rods. Yeah. Yeah. You've got and you've got you're heavily involved in Hot Rods. Well, knowing George Barris since I was a kid and being able to go down to his shop, which was less than a mile away from the studio, I always had a, uh, I was building the models, but I also got to go see the real thing being built. And George was always very, uh, very giving to let a 12-year-old little kid wander around his shop and see what was going on. And then uh, I also grew up in the muscle car, you know, decade. And as soon as I was 16 years old, I got a Mach 1 and then I got a 427 Corvette. So I was... Uh, very lucky to be around at a really cool, pivotal time for muscle cars as well. So when I bought a Munster Coach and Dragula, not a Barris version, but a, uh, a Rucker Posey version about eight years ago, I started touring the country um, doing car-related events, more so than just Comic-Cons. Mm-hmm. And it's been a good fit for me. And you've really had a chance to share that with people and fans of the show. There was one time, and I remember we were talking about this some time back, as you were talking about you wanted to like put them on a drag strip and try and drag them. Well, what I do is I, uh, when I bought both cars, the Dragula and the, uh, the Munster Coach, I would go to drag strips and we would do photo opportunities of the Hot Rod Herman episode where we would you know, take them to the starting line, do a burnout or two, and uh, I'd, I'd run them maybe maybe three or 400 feet before I'd let off. But it was perfect for uh, what everybody wanted to do was to see the Munster Coach versus the Dragula. And then I got smart and I started letting the, the coach take off first because the Dragula hauls butt. So I would let the coach get about 100 feet off the line and then I would put my foot in the Dragula and, and go by him at about the 700 foot mark and shut off. So we had a good time, but I recently sold my Dragula, but I'm building another one more like the TV version. The one I had was the movie version. Yeah, talk about the differences between the Barris version and the ones you had. Uh, the Barris versions were small block Fords. My versions are a big block Chevy and a 400 small block uh, Chevy as well. The new one is going to be a small block. The new Dragula will be a 347 small block Jags uh, Ford stroker motor. It's about 500 horse. Um, my my coach is a, is a big block Chevy. If I if I sell this one. I will probably build an accurate small block uh, Barris type one uh, as a replacement. But right now, I have a coach, no Dragula, Dragula's being built. I did buy another body for the coach while I was out picking up the Dragula because I said, well, you know, when's the next time I'm going to be able to see a uh, Dick Dean mold available for the price that it was available? So I wound up taking it. Didn't know what I was going to do with it, but I knew it would come in handy. Now, away from this, you are a car enthusiast, yep. not just with the Dragula and the, the coach. 
You're you've got a you're part of a car club out of Florida, correct? Uh, actually, my my car club. I live in Florida, but my car club is in New Jersey called Dead Man's Curve okay. out of Montville, New Jersey. And uh, they hired me years ago to come in as a celebrity. We became friends. I really enjoyed the guys, and they made me an honorary member for years. And then when I bought the coach and the dragon, I became a full fledged member. So now I'm 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 one of the 17 members of the greatest car club in the country, uh, Dead Man's Curve. Cool car, cool song. Uh, and we put out a really big car show as well at the Mawa Sheraton every Labor Day. That's okay. got to be difficult, though, to show up for cruise night on Fridays when you live in Florida well, and yeah. you belong yeah, to a car I, club in yeah, New Jersey. I, I basically don't make it up there as often as I would like to, but the other 16 members are definitely locals, and they put on, they, they work the club like nobody's business. They really do good work for the community. Uh, great bunch of guys. One of the things about Hot Rodders from the 60s that I, that I like the fit is they're Levi's and tennis shoes and T-shirt kind of guys with great cars, and they could be millionaires or they could be just blue-collar guys. But the good thing about it is they're all regular guys, and we all come together on on an even playing field of hot rods. All right, and Montville is a car community. It's the headquarters for BMW and Mercedes. Yeah. Well, you know, when I first met these guys, we used to do the the wild hot rod party before Lead East at the Hot Rod Farm. And then now we took over this Mawa Sheraton, and this will be our 10th year coming up uh, and the car show has really grown from a few hundred cars now we had over 3,000 cars last wow. show so it's really come along it doubled in size over year eight and year nine let's go back and talk about how you got involved in this obviously you were young you were doing the show and I'm sure you've told the story a few times but I'm always interested about what was your first car and how did you uh, acquire it my first car was a brand new 69 Mach 1 uh, I wanted a 428, but my mom overrode me and came home with a 351 Windsor. But, you know, it was still a Mach 1. And and you, how old were you then? 16. But 16 I looked, I looked with about a Mach 12. 1. I looked about 12. I get pulled over daily because <laughs> the cops thought that, you know, I mean, I did look young. And then uh, I got rid of the Mach 1. At that time, I was going to the drag strip with Jack Chrisman, who pretty much invented the funny car back in the mid-60s with the Kendall GT1 Comet. And I became friends with a friend of mine who was working for Roland Leong's uh, drag strip, the Hawaiian. Dean Matsumura, who used to take me to high school. So I was hanging around Keith Black's shop before I was old enough to go out to clubs and bars when I was 16, 17. That's what we would spend our evenings. We would be going out where all the funny car drivers were hanging out, which was a cool place. Then uh, I got rid of my Mach when I bought a 427, 435 horse, 460 uh, Corvette, black on black on black. But the funny thing about it was it was a factory special order. It only had power windows, no power steering, no power brakes. Which until recently I never thought much about it, but someone said, you know, that would be a very valuable car because of the special uh, features and the way it was special ordered with factory 411s and a four-speed. And then after that, my, my stepdad owned a Chrysler Plymouth dealership, so I drove a lot of Kudas and Dusters and satellites and Roadrunners and stuff, stuff like that. But my favorite one was the 340 Duster. The Kuda was nice, but the Duster was faster. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Mopar guy. Lighter. Yeah. It was lighter. It was faster. And it had better weight transfer. The Kudo was better looking, but the, the Duster was definitely quicker. You said your uncle was a... Uh, My stepdad. Your stepdad was... Was it in California or yeah, elsewhere? Yeah, Garden Grove, Chrysler, Plymouth. Ah, yeah. okay. Very good. How did you come across George Barris? George, well, he built the Munster Coach for the, the series I was on and when he would deliver it out. And, uh, you know, he was very good about... Uh, he, he enjoyed the show. He enjoyed the cast. And... When on my Wednesdays, I had a little regiment that I would take a long lunch. And during my long lunch, I'd go to the hobby shop to get a slot car or a piece of slot car track for my uh, setup. I had a 132nd scale Strombecker slot, you know, slot car track running through my entire house. And then I'd go by Georgia's shop on Wednesday afternoon because the little hot dog stand across the street was my favorite place. I'd have my apple pie, my hot dog, and my Coke, and then I'd go see Georgia's shop. And that but was my little routine. You realize, of course, you just said the, the word of the day, slot cars. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, Go I, ahead, Bob. I, I belong to a club out of Glendale, California. Yeah. We have nine privately owned tracks. Yeah. We race twice a month. Oh, wow. And uh, I, I built a track in my house, and yeah. I'm building another one in my garage that it folds up out of the way when we're not using it and comes back down. It's all landscaped and we had everything a, else. We had a scale that in high school, we actually had a club that we built, a, a HO scale drag strip that we used to all go over to this Richard Polari's house in the garage. And then uh, then I also used to go to R- Ravel Raceway, and then yep. there was also American Hobbies down on Hawthorne Boulevard. I spent a lot of time at, at uh, <laughs> and, I, and I built my own slot cars, you know. The Thorpe, Thorpe, Thorpe Double Wound 28. Yeah. You know, or, or Mura engines. And yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. I've still got a couple of my cars from those that era. Yeah. I, we're in the, the same, from about the same era. I, I'm a lot older than you. But um, Ravel Raceways, yeah. I lived in North Hollywood. So Ravel sure. Race, Raceway, whenever I had a spare, yeah. you know, quarter to put in the machine, and I'd go racing. What I'm really excited about, the crowd, I have to get back to my cable here pretty soon, but what I'm really excited about what I'm doing is as I travel around the country with my Munster coach, I do share rides with people. We uh, do promotions and marketing. I have a, a show, a, a YouTube channel called Coach to Coast for the old timers. It's very much like Charles Kuralt on the road, uh, a show that I used to love when I was a kid because my grandmother and I drove all over the country together. She was an antiquer. I, I found a very big love affair with the state parks and the Route 66 and the highway system that I now try to share with people. But the trick is when I go into a town, I pull the Munster coach out of my trailer, and I drive the mayor around town, and then he shows us he shows off what these little communities have to offer. <laughs> that really is cool. great. And where can they find that? Coach to Coast with K. K-O-A-S-T. Right. Coach, K-O-A-C-H. Coach to Coast. And it's on where? YouTube channel. YouTube. All right. We'll have to check that out. Butch Patrick, who was 11 years old when he began working on the Munsters and grew up to be quite the car guy himself. And in a previous visit with us on Talking About Cars, number 27, that was a long time ago, what, four years plus? He gave us the best Munster story ever. It's late in the afternoon. We're in front of the Munster uh, mansion down on Colonial Street. The assistant director says, Ford, we're losing our light. Just take the car out, turn right around, come back. We want to do it again for safety. Fred jumps in the car. We all pull up, and then you pull out of the shot. He continues down the street. He hangs left. He goes up the hill. He goes past the makeup department. He goes down the hill, out the front gate, on the Langersham Boulevard. We don't know if there's enough gas in the car to get back. You know, with the brakes are remote. You know, marginal at best. And you guys are and in the car. Full makeup. We're in full makeup, and we pull out, and it's like we go down the street and hang on the left, and we turn around at the Hollywood Bowl, come back, and we're going about 20 minutes. <laughs> we come back. The, the, the assistant director's cigar has gone from about this long to this long. He's now got like a little stubby. The sun's gone. We don't have lights in the car, and we come back, and he's just smiling. He's beaming because he was a practical joker. And I'm holding on for dear life. Yvonne DiCarlo is yelling at him, Fred, Fred, my hair, my wig. He's flying out the window, you know. And Al's going, yeah, 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 Fred, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, keep going, keep going. That's crazy. So, yeah, well, you know, and Al Lewis swears it never happened. I go, Al, it happened, trust me. I was holding on. I know it happened. Well, there's a visual for you. Now we wrap up last week's conversation with Cold War Motors' Scott Newstead, where we get to talk about Scott's music. We get a pandemic update from Canada, how old Scott is. And, yes, Bob starts things off talking classic Plymouth wagons. I was a kid. My mother had a 57 Plymouth Suburban. Oh, wagons are fun, yeah. Oh, I, you know, the the back seat was reversed, so you could you, mm-hmm. know, you could do all sorts of things with the cars behind you, and the mother never knew in the front what I was saying, you know. Mm-hmm. And we always put up signs, help, she's keeping us, you know, captive and things like that. Yeah, we. my grandfather had a nine-passenger 
Plymouth, like one of the seventies ones, but for sure the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I always thought of, I did. I was always very uncomfortable sitting in the back because people were staring at you. Yeah, <laughs> you know, well, we never thought about we're in collision. Gonna stop, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's it. You know, people tailgate and you get a little nervous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but uh, nine passenger is a, is a fun option for sure. Uh, Plymouth Suburban, the wagons. It's nice to see wagons actually achieving. Uh, a certain amount of desirability so that they're not all just getting ruined right? Uh, or parted out. I think wagons are, are interesting and should be saved. Mm -hmm. My friend has Agreed. a 97 Dodge Sierra, which is a nice car as well. American model, funny enough. Hmm. And uh, yeah, I did no, I have no forward look wagons. It just hasn't come my way. Um, the, uh, they're out there, you know, but I've got my hands full. Like I really have to pick my battles here. I'm only going to, you know, I'm not going to live another 200 years. So I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm also going to be picking which ones get painted, you know. Well, you know, if you got so many projects, you can't go. You've got to stay. <laughs> yeah, you've got to, uh, you got to pick them. And so, you know, I have everything divided into stuff that's actually going to get done and stuff that I'm just buying for fun. Uh -huh. uh, there's a third category of cars that I bought that I'm never going to build, but somebody should. And that's a very small category. And those ones I sell, I think I've sold three cars in the last 10 years and they were all cars that were two doors that somebody should build that I was not going to have time to do. And they all went to good homes. Yeah. Well, when you say you've got a, you, you've got, you do customer cars, what is your actual business? Um, well, it's kind of, I'm trying to transition it from just slogging it out, doing scratch and dents, uh, to, to more or less, uh, if I can make the YouTube channel, uh, you know, break even, then I can get up in the morning. And the goal was when I started was if I play my cards, right, I can get up in the morning and restore my own cars and have some way of keeping the lights on. Uh, nothing will really change except that when the cars are done, I get to keep them instead of giving them back to the person who paid for it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the goal. The overall goal was to find some way to restore your own cars and, and keep the lights on at the same time. Because to me, that's all I've ever wanted to do is restore cars. Uh, but the sad part is you have to give them back when you're done to somebody else. So this way I get to keep them and build my own little collection. Mm. That was kind of the goal. And, you know, we're, we're getting there and uh, it's uh it's, it's a very, the trouble is now that both of the things are all, both of the things are full-time jobs right now. So I have two full-time jobs and the dog's a full-time job and I play in four bands and that's a full-time job. Oh gee. I have, it's I have full -time jobs. Yeah. Well, of course, a little less rehearsal going on with the plague and everything, but, uh, still trying to, uh, write parts and send them to my to my friends and stuff and uh okay plug your band plug your band what's uh, what kind of bands are you involved in oh just goofy band just fun we got one band with guys i've known for 25 years uh, mm -hmm. and uh we are doing our second album which we're still in the writing phase uh the first album came out in 1995 so you know second album's taking a little while uh but we, you know, everybody took a break to have families and careers. Um, 
like so many things, uh, it's more fun when you're not doing it for a living. And so having tried to be musicians as kids and, you know, like you get tired of bumming quarters so you can buy a vegetable sub or whatever, you know, like we were, we're it's just a great way to starve to death. Uh, so uh, we went on to, I mean, anything is more lucrative, right? So, uh, but we never really, you know, it, it was never not going to happen again. It just, it just took this long. Uh, a couple of the rest of them are just fun bands with friends. We, I got one, we play trucker songs. We do all the, you know, the, the Dave Dudley type of uh, Freightliner fever type of, uh, you know, and, boy, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Old, old country and trucking songs, uh, mm -hmm. which is fun for me because I had no Dude, real uh, exposure to that as a kid. <laughs> my, my parents were not truckers, you know what I mean? my they were my dad was a bureaucrat my mom was a nurse so we didn't really have a lot of exposure to like uh you know trucker songs about speed you know mm. and so it has been really fun for me to discover that and learn to play with some guys who are really good and i'm just so fortunate to be up there and share my time with them on the stage mm. and uh another band with just my friends just doing all the songs we liked as kids just old 80s rock songs and then uh, another band that just uh, helping out a friend uh, doing playing bass in a, like a surfing surf type of instrumental band and and then the original uh, recording project band so uh, keeping busy and then the, uh, I write all the music for the YouTube channel as well so uh, just enough to notice the arthritis you know just playing you know <laughs> i was out sanding yesterday and i was like well i gotta choose am i gonna sand the inside of this fender or play guitar today because i can't do both oh and, uh, you're a young guy yeah well not okay how old are you i'm let me do the 50 I'm trying to think if i was 51 not yet i got almost 20 years on you're fine <laughs> yeah yeah well, I spent the last 30 on my knees on concrete and, and uh, That's tough. I can barely sit down now, but you know, I knew that was coming. I, you know, whatever, if you're a coal miner, you're going to get coal miner lung. And if you're a body man, you're going to get arthritic knees. It's just the way she goes. So no, I'm not complaining about it. It's just a reality. And I haven't really done much to try and treat it. So I'm not, you know, it's not really anything I can complain about. It's just a reality. And Real quick question, and that's not really related, but um, what's what's the whole look on what's going on with the virus, the plague, the whole thing in your neck of the woods? I mean, out here, you know, everybody's got to wear masks when they go into stores, and everybody's you know social distancing and being in uh, their own space, so to speak. They a lot of people are staying at home. What's it like where you are? Um, well. I mean, where I specifically am, absolutely nothing has changed because I haven't left my yard three times in the last 20 years anyway. All right, then. <laughs> I have everything set up here. My shop is here. My tools are here. My cars are here. My bar is here. All my guitars, everything I do, I do from home anyway. So it has, it has impacted me personally, almost not at all. Mm -hmm. uh, when I do go somewhere, I notice that the roads are pretty empty, which is nice when you're driving old junkers. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't really have an accurate, uh, take on how other people are experiencing it just because my situation is kind of unique in that I had no job to lose, you know, like 
I haven't had a job in 20 years. Uh, and so uh, I've also, I mean, I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, cognitive dissonance with people not really, people a certain amount in shock, a certain amount of not really being able to understand that this is really the end of it. This is her, right? But I mean, I've been reading Dmitry Orlov and, and uh, uh, Nassim Taleb, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right, uh, you know, for a dozen years. And, and so none of this surprises me. None of it, it's caught me off guard and none of it has cost me really anything because I never had any faith in a system that was mathematically unsportable anyway. Mm -hmm. oh, that's a pretty cheery little line in yeah, there. <laughs> oh, he's super, super exciting guy, super cheery guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's not really fair for me to, to characterize how other people are experiencing it when, when really personally here, I, I'm, I'm literally as busy or busier than ever. Uh, I see a lot of people are, I'm probably wishing they had something to do or whatever, but here, I mean, it's, um, for for me personally, it's it's more a matter of uh, supply chain interruptions are probably coming. I won't be able to maybe get some of the weirdo. Pardon me. Uh, some some mail order stuff's probably going to be a problem. But by and large, in the city, uh, I don't know. I think everybody's pretty much. It's pretty easy to convince Canadians to stay in the house when it's minus twenty five. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens in the summer, uh, and uh, I, I don't. I don't think it's really, yeah, I'm not really the right guy to ask just because I, I have very little interaction with the world on a good day. Yeah. So, and I've lost nothing because I never invested anything in it. So. Note to self, do not ask coronavirus question as showbiz comes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you very much on that. <sighs> this is going to be our first YouTube show. So I figure, you know, let's have the king of YouTube on the That's program. That's it. And uh, get the update on what's going Since on. Since he wasn't available, you got <laughs> Scott Newstead, Cold War Motors, thank you so much, man, for staying with us and joining us here on the Talking About Thank you guys so much for having me. So, again, and Bob, thank you for joining us, obviously. Oh, it was very nice to meet you, sir. Nice meeting you, and I've enjoyed it. You know, I, I love the, the Canadian cars, the, the ones we talked about. They are different, but they're the same. But they're just unique enough that nobody here knows what they are. Well, you know, yeah, Bob, you realize once we decide to get one, we know yeah. who to talk to. Oh, it's yeah. true. Well, yeah. You I, guys are never up in Canada and want to come and have a laugh at some Canadian <laughs> junkers. You know? We might do. Road trip. All right. when I, when I, in my previous uh, life, I, I covered Canada for uh, my job. Oh, yeah? I was, yeah, I was... Uh, I was the marketing manager for the, the truck division of General Motors. No kidding. And I handled all of the USA and Canada. So I was up there about six weeks a year. Wow. That's a huge uh, uh, thing. Like General Motors trucks, in, certainly where I am in Western Canada. I mean, there are almost no cars here. I think people come here from other parts of the world and they're like, doesn't anybody have a car? Like, yeah. they're or certainly where I live, like you're driving around in a car, it's like, where's your truck? You know? Yeah. And then well, I was on the medium. I was on the medium, the commercial trucks, the medium duty, the cab oh, overs, yeah. and the top kicks, and the Kodiaks. 
oh, before okay. sure. the reorganization, they decided we don't need those anymore. So Did they stop putting those together. Yeah, yeah, in 2010. And stuff? Oh, really? Yeah, uh, they've wow. got now, they've merged kind of back with uh, Isuzu. And they're gonna they're selling the cab over still, but oh, they got rid of the top pick of the Kodiak. Flat nose, uh, right? General Motors truck. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, you see that stuff? Uh, yeah, there's still. Well, of course, I wouldn't have known they quit making them because they're still everywhere. Certainly around here, uh, where I live out in the country, we have a lot of people haul their water too. So, okay, a certain genre of vehicle here that we call the Ardrossan water truck, which is like any old piece of that you think will make it two miles down the road to fill up with water. So the, it's a pretty, uh, there's some pretty fun ones, stuff right from the forties and fifties, like anything that you can put a bucket in the back and fill it with water. Uh, they seem to kind of look the other way when they drive by, you know, I've, I'm not just get home. Don't make me see that thing. <laughs> it's so it's still running. It has to fall apart. Mufflers on them. Yeah, no, it's pretty yeah. Still fairly rural where I am, but you know I'm also have the advantage. I'm only half an hour from downtown if I want to be in the city, um, but uh, just far enough out of town that I can kind of keep my head down and and uh, you know just uh, stay out of people's way. That's kind of my goal. Okay. Good. Well, I know you've got to go here in a second, so let me read this part, otherwise known as. Thanks for listening, please. Oh, please uh, share our show. If you're listening to us on uh, radio.com, subscribe, and it's absolutely free to do that. Leave a comment. If you're on iTunes, rate us, obviously, five stars if you even need to ask, and review us. Thanks in advance for helping the podcast grow. Our website is talkingaboutcars.net. We are on YouTube now, and that is, of course, Two Tired Guys productions who knows it might be the two tired guys network by the time this comes on TikTok. it's not totally there yeah i know well neither am i so it works out oh, good. oh you guys are doing the green screen yeah i was gonna do well you, gonna do that set up we, fun. we we haven't got the green screen that's the problem there's a phone or something on one side follow us on twitter and instagram and facebook we're all over the place and remember Check out Bob because he has an 11 o'clock in the morning Pacific time show on Facebook called Gas, the great American auto scene. You get gas every morning with me. That's it. And that's why I keep my distance. Until next time, that's Bob, that's Scott, I'm Randy. Thanks for joining us as we had some fun talking about cars. We will see you next time. So long.